in so many ways we are so blessed to be living in Ireland. There are so many reasons, of course, before that. But one of them is our health service. We have doctors and nurses who are incredibly devoted to caring for their patients, as we saw, especially during this pandemic. And we have hospitals with incredible technology to analyse and to assess all of our issues. Our pharmacists stock thousands of different kinds of medicine to help us with a huge range of conditions. In our Emergency departments are open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to treat people in their times of greatest difficulty. We're truly blessed to have the medical help that's available to us in this country. However, of course, the situation is not as great as we would like. Both government and opposition spokespeople would tell us that our health service is completely overstretched right now. Over 900,000 people are on a waiting list for hospital treatment or assessment by a consultant. According to the INMO Trolley Watch, last year over 70,000 people, patients, went without a bed in our hospitals. And waiting times in these ER departments, in the emergency departments, have rocketed. The average waiting time uh, in May was over 11 hours. In Cork, for some reason, it's really bad there, it was over 20 hours. And if you're over the age of 75, in one hospital, it was over 27 hours. So we're really blessed to live in Ireland. Access to healthcare is so much better than it is in many other countries. But that access is limited and it doesn't always meet our needs. In many ways, the people of Israel in the Old Covenant had a similar issue. As God's people, Israel had the incredible privilege of access to God. The tabernacle and then the temple later provided them a place where they were able to approach God, to worship Him, to petition Him for forgiveness, for help and for direction. But there was a problem. The people could only come so far in approaching God and no further. In the temple, for example... The Jewish women could only come as far as the court of women. The Jewish men, they could only come a little bit further into the court of men, of Israelites. Even the priests, they were restricted to just some parts of the temple. And so God provided them a high priest. One man who could enter the most holy place, the the innermost room of the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, to represent them before God, who was enthroned between the cherubim. So Israel, they had amazing privileges that other nations didn't have. But that access was limited And it didn't fully meet their needs. And so the writer of Hebrews, 
wrote his letter to encourage his readers to see that although Judaism had offered them incredible privileges, what they had in Christ was far better. Jesus is a better high priest. And he can provide full access to God and all the help they can ever need. So, this morning we're going to read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. And Jude is going to come up and he is going to read it for us. So, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. Thank you, Jude. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have the high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet we are without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Thank you very much, Jude. This passage introduces a long section of this letter where the writer will show in great detail how Jesus is a greater high priest than anyone who came before him. We'll see in later weeks how he is greater because his priesthood is eternal. Because he introduced the superior covenant. Because he made a greater sacrifice And that sacrifice will never need to be repeated ever again. But as the writer here introduced us to Jesus, our great high priest, he told us three amazing truths about him. And then two ways that this should impact us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Three amazing truths about Jesus, our great high priest, and then two ways that this should impact our lives. Aaron, Moses' brother, he was the first high priest in the nation of Israel. And his sons served as the first priests. So Moses was told in Exodus chapter 28, Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. And down through the centuries, all the priests and high priests were descendants of, they were sons of Aaron. This was an essential part of their qualification. Their claim to have the right to represent the people before God. But our high priest is greater. Because he's not the son of Aaron. But as we read in verse 14, he is Jesus, the son of God. This is his true identity, as chapter 1 of Hebrews made really clear. He is both fully man and fully God. And because of this, he is able to mediate between God and human beings. As Paul wrote to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. 
the man, Christ Jesus. Nobody else has the qualifications to adequately represent us before God. So nobody else can bridge the gap between us and God. Nobody else can rescue us. Jesus alone is our Saviour. But he's also greater, secondly, because of also because of his, the location of his ministry. Aaron and his descendants after him, they served in the tabernacle and the temple. These were amazing places that were constructed exactly according to God's plan for them. But as we'll see in chapter 9 when we get there, they were just copies of the heavenly things. These earthly sanctuaries were not the real thing. But our great high priest, verse 14 again, has gone through the heavens. After he died on the cross and rose again on the third day, he ascended through the heavens. That means he goes, he went through what we call our atmosphere and he went through what we call space and he went right into the very presence of God in heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God. And so heaven is the location of his ministry. Hebrews 9.24 says, Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary. Sorry. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Just think about it. Today, our great high priest is in God's presence in heaven for us. He is there to represent us, to sanctify us, to advocate for us, to intercede for us. And that's so much better than having someone here on earth to serve us. So, his identity means he's greater. His location means he's greater. But the third truth that we see in this little passage that makes Jesus so much greater I think it's possibly even more incredible. That's his temptation. Have a look at verse 15. He has been tempted in every way just as we are. Now I think most of us really struggle to get our heads around what this means. And we need to be very careful in how we think about this. So we don't go beyond what the Bible reveals to us. But the Bible here declares that the temptation of Jesus was very real and it was comprehensive. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. Now, of course, that does not mean that Jesus was tempted by every specific thing that we might be tempted, to, uh, tempted by in this world. The world uh, that Jesus came to live in was very different from our world. So Jesus didn't need to face the temptation of TV or the internet or social media or those kind of things. But it does mean that in some way Jesus experienced the full range 
of temptation that we face. Now, of course, in many ways, his temptation was different from ours. First of all, it was different in its source. Jesus tells us that when we are tempted, or sorry, James tells us this, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. We experience temptation because of our sinful nature and because of the the wrong desires that it stirs up. Our sinful nature rebels against God's rule in our lives. Our self-centeredness desires uh, pulls away from what God wants for us. We say, no, I want this, even if it's not what God wants. But Jesus, he didn't have a sinful nature. He didn't have any wrong desires within him. So his temptation did not come from within him. Rather, it became from outside of him. This is what the Gospels describe. Describe how Jesus was severely tempted. Not from his own evil desires, but from the evil one. So right after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. But it's not just the source of that temptation that was different from ours. It's also the result. Our temptation often leads to sin and its devastating consequences. Again, James says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. But for Jesus, his temptation never did. He was tempted, just as we are, yet was without sin. Never once did he slip up. Never once did he fail. Never once did he give in to that temptation. But let's be clear, that does not mean that Jesus' temptation was any less than ours. In fact, it's the very opposite. Only one who has fully resisted temptation can know the full extent of its force. The fact that Jesus was tempted without sin means that he endured the full weight of that temptation. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He talks about this issue. This is what he says. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation is. This is an obvious lie, Lewis says. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You only find, you find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. So Lewis goes on, Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, 
is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. In the face of that temptation, in the full force of that temptation, Jesus never laid down. He endured all of those temptations and testings without ever giving in. So he alone knows the full strength of it. He alone knows the cost of it, of resisting it, than anybody else. But why does that matter? Why does it matter to realise that Jesus experienced the full force of temptation in this world? What difference does it make to us to know that Jesus was tempted? Well, it's because of this. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us in our weaknesses. Yes, our great high priest is the Son of God. He is the exalted one who ascended into heaven and now sits at the Father's right hand. But he is not the remote one. He is not aloof and unaffected by our struggles and our difficulties and our weaknesses and our battles. Instead, he sympathizes with us. That little word, sympathize, it's a compound word. Two different aspects. One is the prefix meaning with, and it's joined to the verb meaning suffer. So, So to sympathize is to suffer with. Jesus is not cool and detached from us. He just doesn't watch us from a distance thinking, oh well, Instead, because he knows what it's like to be human. Because he knows what it's like to suffer all the temptations in the world. He knows what it feels like to be overwhelmed with sorrow and to feel completely alone. He suffers with us in our weaknesses. He feels our pain. He shares our struggles. Today the amazing news is that there's someone in heaven today who knows what we are going through and who suffers along with us. So our high priest is great because of his identity, because of his location, And because of his temptation. But how should this impact our lives? How should this change how we live? Well, first of all, verse 16, it means that we can come close. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. As we thought about at the start, the temple and the tabernacle, that was a place of restricted access to God. Only the high priest could come into that most holy place and only once a year with a sacrifice for the sins of his people and for the sins of himself. 
As the writer of Hebrews wrote later in chapter 9, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he opened up the way into God's presence. Hebrews 10.19 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Through his sacrifice, we are declared righteous in God's presence. We are dressed with the righteousness of Christ. We have been sanctified as God's holy people. We have been adopted as His children and we have been given complete and full, unhindered, unlimited access into the very most, the innermost presence of God. The most holy place. So today, folks, we don't need to hold back. We don't need to keep our distance. We don't need to stay away. We can come close to God any time that we want. We can come right into His intimate presence. We can enjoy close communion with our God. And verse 16 says that we can do this with confidence. Our God is an amazing, awesome God. When God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, on Mount Sinai, Exodus 20 says that when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear. And they stayed at a distance. And in many ways, they were right to be afraid. God is holy and powerful. He's mighty and majestic. He's certainly not to be taken lightly. But the amazing news is, is because of Jesus, we do not need to stay away in fear. That's because if we have trusted in Jesus, then we have the confidence to enter God's Grace. If we come to him today, we know that what we'll find in his presence is that we will receive mercy and that we will find grace. Mercy simply means that God will not give us the judgment that we deserve. Grace means that God will give us the blessings that we don't deserve. Not because we've done anything. Not because of who we are. Not because we've tried really hard. Not because we're kind of good people after all. None of that. It's simply because we're in Christ. Because we've been saved by His precious blood. And we can have that confidence because He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all thanks. Do you get that? We've just remem- remembered the cross in our time of communion. 
If the Father loved us so much to give us His only beloved Son to die in agony and shame on the cross, then we don't ever need to fear that He will ever turn away from us. Or that He'll ever keep back from us something that we desperately need. Through the cross, He has once and for all declared His love for us. The cross is God's final say on the matter. It's His commitment to us. It is the declaration of His acceptance of us. If we are in Christ today, then His throne will always be a throne of grace for us. So we can be confident in God's grace. But just secondly, we can be confident in Christ's sufficiency. We can come to Him, verse 16 again, to help us in our time of need. There are many people who might want to help us when we're in real need. They love us. They care for us. But sometimes they just can't help. Sometimes our problems are bigger and more serious than they can deal with. You ever felt that that way? Maybe standing beside somebody or sitting beside them and just wanting to help and just not being able to do anything? But that never happens with Jesus. As he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. No matter what we face today, Jesus is enough. Do we get that? His grace is enough. We don't need anything else. He is enough for us. And so secondly, that means that we don't ever need to give up. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. It seems that many of the original readers of this letter felt like giving up. Things for them were just getting too difficult. Maybe they didn't feel they had the strength to keep going in the face of increasing persecution. Maybe they thought the cost of following Jesus was just too much. Maybe they thought it just wasn't worth it. But they could hold firmly to their faith. They could keep living for Jesus right to the end because they had a great high It's the same for us too. All of us are tempted to give up at times, aren't we? We too can be tempted to walk away, say that we've had enough, feel that we just can't go on, think that maybe the cost is too great. But we can keep going in this battle because we're not alone. Jesus' last words to the disciples before he ascended up to heaven were, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.
Today, we have a great high priest who is the Son of God, who is in heaven for us, who understands our struggles, who feels our pain, and is ready to give the help whenever we need it. So yes, the Christian life is a battle. Yes, it's often difficult and demanding, but we're not alone. Our high priest is with us. He's working for us. And so we can keep on going. We can keep trusting in Jesus and living for Him because we can say with Paul, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. The nation of Israel, they had a great privilege as God's people. The temple, the priesthood and the sacrifices gave them limited access to God. It was wonderful. But our great high priest is better. Because of his unique identity, his exalted location, his experience of temptation, he can provide us the help with all the help that we need. So let's take advantage of our privilege And keep on coming close to that throne of grace with confidence. And let us stand firm. Holding on to the truth of the gospel. Be committed to live for Christ. Persevere in our faith right into the end. For His honour. And for His honour.